We just got back from Baku. It's great to see you. Uh, let's see. So do I put up the map or do they put up the map? Or? All right. Okay. Uh, yes, we, we left uh, seven days ago um, and just uh, traveled uh, through Istanbul all the way to Baku where we met just a lot of people. I'll give you some names. Uh, Russia came down, Pastor Teplov. Sasha and Delora came down. Uh, a bunch of the young people, Dennis, David, Gunnell, Amalia. Um, Pastor Tomaszek came down also. Great to be with them. We're, we haven't seen them as much in the last couple of years, of course. So it's just wonderful to be with them and have fellowship. And uh, just love them, edify them. Uh, we had Pastor Brian Lange um, come from Hungary. We had all of Central Asia come, um, or all the pastors came from Central Asia. Pastor Emil from Bishkek came. Uh, Samarkand showed up with Pastor Stan and Pastor Toyer. Um, Tajikistan showed up. I mean, it's just great. And Turkmenistan came. Uh, Pastor Zenya, many of you might remember him. Have not, we have not been able to get into Turkmenistan. And um, so, you know, maybe six, seven years since we've been with him. Uh, so it was just pure joy to see him again and be faithful and love God and continue the work along with, uh, Pastor Toily, uh, just beautiful people, hard country, but we have churches there and the work is continuing and they were telling us some of the things that they have to deal with. Uh, they're starting a new work over on the border, uh, on the Uzbek border. So that's, uh, uh, you know, some, some mission work happening there. Just really wonderful. And then Baku itself is uh, exploding. We have three churches there. Everywhere we went, it was packed. Um, let's see, there's churches uh, in Baku, three churches in Baku, but then also out in the country heading west. Uh, Ismaili is there. Uh, let's see, uh, a couple of other names. I wrote them down because they're hard to remember. But... Um, you know, just just beautiful pastors, Shaki, Barda, and then also up in Dagestan, there's some work going on up there. So there was just a real spirit of freedom and joy and love there, you know. And uh, the thought on my mind is how necessary it is for us to go there, you know, like... Um, you know, Paul mentions in Philippians chapter 1 that we have to, you know, we're striving together, you know, and it does feel a little bit like work to get on a plane sometimes and go all the way over there, spend the money, take the time. But, um, you know, on the other hand, it doesn't feel like work at all. It's just one beautiful trip. And, you know, listening to messages is my favorite thing to do anyway. So I'll go to a conference anywhere to do that. And Loving the body, being with the body, reconnecting with the body, encouraging people. You know, they need encouragement, and they need to be reminded of the love that we have for them and also the love of Christ and the Word. So we just had beautiful fellowship, and you know, we took with us um, Brian Ackerman, which um, now I've taken Brian Ackerman on several events like Camp Life, and we discovered at Camp Life that he, he does not run out of energy, I said, okay, all right, that's fine. Let, let's, why don't you come with me to Central Asia and see how you do there? Wouldn't you know it, the guy did not run out of energy. <laughs> you know, we don't sleep very well there, but it doesn't seem to bother him. 
he's made for trips like this. At least, in my opinion. Yeah, hint, hint. I uh, know that he was amazing, fun to be with, and, uh, you know, just fun to travel with him and his family. Such a great family. Love them so much. Beautiful kids. And uh, uh, I just hope his kids don't have as much, much energy as you do, Brian. <laughs> uh, I think we're going to do the wrap tonight. And then Pasha came, and Pasha is still there, and he took Emma, little Emma. Now, that, that girl, she, I don't know if you've met her. You, need, you should meet her. We're, you know, struggle, you know, sometimes struggling to be awake, right? Like to get up early in the morning, not sleep so well at night, come in late. This girl put Brian to shame. Up early in the morning, having breakfast with us, just loving life, going to bed late, no whining, no crying. It was just a great adventure for her, much better than Disney World, I'm sure. So she is something special, I tell you. Um, but anyways, we had a beautiful time. I had one verse for you um, that I uh, read uh, over there, which is in Psalm 96. Uh, 96 verse 9. Uh, oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. I looked it up when I got back today and a bunch of different translations in Greek and it doesn't say worship the Lord and, and his beauty or, or the beauty of his holiness. And not, I'm not saying that it's not saying that. You know, it is, of course, incorporated and included in that sentence. But what is the beauty of holiness? Well, anything to do with Christ is the beauty of holiness. Uh, this church service is beauty of holiness. The worship service we just had, the message we're about to have is beauty of holiness. And if we're here and we're participating, then we are worshiping him in the beauty of holiness. And if we take a long trip overseas and have fellowship with, Peter, with people over there and, and prayerfully, you know, preach messages and meet with uh, all kinds of individuals and love them, then that is most definitely the beauty of holiness. That's what I felt like. You know, it's, it's hard work, but also, no, it's being in the beauty of holiness and, you know, whenever we do anything in his name and whenever we gather together in his name, it is the beauty of holiness. And we, we are just beautifully enjoying the beauty of holiness. And, um, you know, this is kind of a thought for me that I, I, we live our lives trying to find the beauty of holiness. And we are blessed because everywhere we turn, there's the body of Christ, there's fellowship, there's missions there's soul winning, there's the Bible college, there's the day school, uh, there's ministry. And uh, we are enjoying that beauty so much and uh, are so thankful for it. And uh, in closing, just to talk about the offering, that also is holiness, also beautiful. It really is. It's beauty of holiness to give. If you are giving, then you are participating with beauty of holiness. So give your money, worship the Lord while you're doing it. The act of giving his beauty of holiness. Amen. I feel that if the Holy Spirit could help me deliver this message, I know it's a good message. I just want it to be coming across the right way and for you to hear it and understand what we want to say.
sometimes we have an artificial idea about life. Um, sometimes we think everybody's goal in life is to be perpetually healthy and constantly happy. Sometimes we think Christians should be successful all the time, have great families, be prosperous, be upright, be effective, and so on. But actually, those false concepts need to be corrected by God's Word. And we read in God's Word that suffering is an important part of our lives, that we learn that life isn't always easy. In Psalm 130, verse 1, it says, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. The Message Bible, an open free translation, says, When the bottom falls out of my life, I cry unto you. I think that is, I don't have my iPad tonight, but I could do a couple little little, <laughs> little pictures. But I'd like to say that, that if man is made to be so high, very high, he's made in the image of God. So his trouble in life can go very deep. Like you can go very high, and when you fall, you fall very far. Like Lucifer was very high, and his fall is very far. So in a way, how deeply down we can go is an indication of how high we can go. Or another way of saying how valuable we are. Uh, so, so this Psalm 130 is really saying beautiful things about God. And that we must realize and understand that our life can be filled with trouble. And we know that when we know the scripture. And we know it when we look around, around on the outside of us. And by the way, when you travel internationally, you realize that Christians who are walking with God don't have those false concepts of what it means to be a Christian. Well, of course they do, but then the culture in America, the culture we have is one of being profitable or successful or, but in every, every culture, of course, and we're all the same, but I'm just saying that when you're unhappy in our country, you take a pill. You shouldn't be unhappy. But in many countries, if you're unhappy, it's part of life. In, in our country, you should succeed, but in many countries, they don't think like that, but they would like to know God. And that's an important part of this is just a point that I want to bring out to help you understand what I want to say tonight. Um, so, uh, Psalm 130, and this, the, the whole message could be on this, but, but I just wanted, I'm not doing that tonight, but I just want to get, give a, a, uh, make a point using it. And it is, uh, when the life fall, when the bottom falls out of my life, I will cry to God. 
I don't think hypocrites do cry to God when the bottom falls out. When I'm embarrassed in my life, do I cry out to God? When I'm under a lot of pressure, do I cry out to God? When I have nothing to boast in, do I cry out to God? When my life collapses on me, do I cry out to God? And the good news is that you do, because you are born of God, and God's Spirit is in you. And maybe you could even say, I have nothing, but I have God, and I'm made in the image of God, and I have value, and God speaks to me, and he teaches me. Look at verse 2. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. Hear me when I cry to you. Hear me. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But I have a lot of iniquity. I have iniquity in my heart. It says in Job fifteen eleven, I drink iniquity like water. Sometimes it bubbles up out of your heart in the morning. Sometimes it bubbles up out of your heart during the day. Sometimes at night. It's, and if you were to mark that, Lord, if you were to take note of that and use that, who would stand? I'm getting to know you. I'm getting to know you, God, and your word, what your word means to me, how much you love me, how much you are for me, why you gave Jesus Christ so that I could be, be in, in the, in the world. I could be under pressure and yet know who you are. All right? So in Finland, 1917, it became independent. 1919 in Russia, there was a Bolshevik revolution. And Lenin gave Finland its independence, but there was a civil war in Finland for about four months with the Red Finns, the Communist Finns, or the Finns that wanted to be part of the Soviet Union, or the part of the revolution, were fighting against the White Finns who were for the independence. 41,000 people died, and the White Finns won. Finland maintained its independence. Then in 1939, there was a mistake made by the Finnish government. I guess you could call it a mistake, or at least a, it led to a tragic thing where the Nazis were allowed to come into Finland and use Finland to attack the Soviet Union. So the, fin- the Russians attacked Finland, about a, a million-man army, from what I understand. And the Finns fought for their independence, fought to be who they were as an independent nation. When they were in battle in the Winter War, 1939, there were lines, so you know, battle lines, and they were pushing forward. Pastor Yuha mentioned it in his message today, that when, in, that, that the Finns were, were on purpose, they deliberately had to maintain their battle lines and not cave. There was a lot of tension between the battle lines, as you can imagine. In, in forest, winter, guerrilla warfare. 
And the Russians would call out to the Finns sometimes and say, Finn, Finnish boys, come and get your bread. And the Finnish boys would answer and say, Russians, come and get your butter for your bread. (laughs) Yes. The Finns won, in effect. They won. They maintained their independence, and they won. And, and so a lot of that history you can read about. But I want to make a point about the war of words, because that happens in our lives, too. There is a story in the Old Testament about the Assyrian king who sent his army down to Israel, and he had a spokesman, Rab Shekah, who spoke to the wall there in Jerusalem to the king Hezekiah. So I'd like you to turn there and read that with me. Isaiah 36. We'll skip around a little bit. You can, for your own reading, read it on your own. But it says here, verse 2, The king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lachish to Jerusalem unto King Hezekiah with a great army. This man, I don't know if I'm saying his name, Rab Shaka, he was the spokesman. He was the one that went there with a great army when Israel was at a great, or Judah was at a great disadvantage. And it says there, verse 4, Rabshakeh said unto them, Say ye now to Hezekiah, Thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence, confidence is this wherein you trust? If we could think about the city being under siege, and Hezekiah is in the city, in the castle, in the city of David, and Isaiah is there too, and the temple, and their obedience to God, and other words being in their hearts, we trust in God. And this man has been sent to say, who are you trusting in? And he ridiculed us, in effect. And he said this, verse I want to make it shorten it so we will go there to uh, verse 11 then said Eliakim and Shebna and Joah unto Rabshakeh speak I pray thee unto thy servants in the Syrian language for we understand it and speak not to us in the Jews language in the ears of the people that are on the wall. So he's shouting out in Hebrew, and they're saying, don't speak Hebrew, say this, speak in Assyrian, because in effect, we don't want other people to hear you because you are actually blaspheming. You are ridiculing God. You are believing in your pagan God or gods, but we're believing in the true God, and so... 
But Rob, Rob Shaka, verse 12, said, Has my master sent me to your master and to thee to speak these words? Has he not sent me to the men that sit upon the wall, that they may eat their own dung and drink their own piss with you? Wow, what does that mean? The city is under siege. They're losing. They don't have food and water. And this is what's going to happen to them. This is what the enemy can say to us. This is like a battle. This is a confrontation between two armies. This is a contest between God and the world that we live in. What the world says to us, and there are many things that the world says to us every day. It's in our culture. It's in the movies. It's in the philosophy. It's in the religion of the day. But we have an advantage, and I love this, and I feel that we feel it in our hearts, that we have words in our hearts that speak to us. Yes, even when the bottom falls out of our life, God speaks to us. Yeah, even when it goes upside down, God speaks to us. But the enemy is there to just say, no, you can't, that's not going to work. And let's read how he talks. He said, verse 13, Rab stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language. And by the way, the devil will speak your language. The devil learns your ideas. He speaks your language, my language. The devil speaks our language like he wants to ridicule us. And tell us, you're not going to win. It's not going to work. And by the way, there, there are times when you have a lot of pressure that comes on your life. And this is the main point of my message tonight, because I have felt it, I'm sure you have. There is pressure that comes on your life, and you really feel it. And I have seen people run in the pressure, run away. I have seen it happen. I understand it. But this is a, this is a very valuable lesson for us. And right tonight, we don't have that happening to us, generally speaking. Maybe you do. But I'm saying, if it, ha- if it hasn't, it will. If it isn't at the moment, it will one day. And you will find yourself under pressure because the devil is speaking with words. Let's go back to the text. It says, verse, he with a loud voice. Where do you read that in the book of Revelation? It says that the Antichrist has a big mouth. Revelation chapter 13. Propaganda in our world is so intensified. There is such a big mouth in the world we live in. Goliath had a big mouth. And he's there every day for 40 days mocking the armies of Israel. And now this guy has a big mouth. And he's telling, telling it loudly. And this is what he says. Let not, verse 14, let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not... He shall not be able to deliver you. Hold it. What is he going to say? Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. Don't let Jesus Christ deceive you. 
Let, don't let the theologians deceive you. Don't let the pastors deceive you. Don't let your mom and dad deceive you. Don't let your friends deceive you, right? Of course. They, they, there's the contest of words. It's a war of words. It's a war of heart. A war, war, war of ideas and truth. Okay, go to the next one. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, verse 15, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by a present, and come out to me, and eat you every one of his vine, and every one of his fig tree, and drink you every one the waters of his own cistern. Now, they're starving. They, they don't have water. They don't have food. And he's saying, make an agreement with me, and you can come out, and you can eat your vines, your, vine, your figs, and vineyard, and drink, and so on. You'll be fine. Have you ever gotten a promise from the devil? I bought a car one time. The guy said, you, you'll never be broken down on the side of the highway with this car. <laughs> Two weeks later, I was. On what grounds can he make that promise? On what grounds can the devil make promises to you? Have you listened to the devil? Do you know what he wants to say to you? Yes, we know. We've been there. We understand it. But this is different. What we have... Verse 17, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, I will take you away, I will deport you and give you a land that is like this one. There isn't any land in the Middle East like Israel. There isn't any Jordan River like this. There isn't any place of promise like this one. He is lying about life. So we have words, words that are engrafted, words that are able to build us up. Let's look at what happens here. We have the first part of my, our message here is ridicule, promise of prosperity. Now look at what Hezekiah says. Um, verse 18, he uh, he says, beware lest Hezekiah persuade you. And then he says, it's very interesting, the verse 19 about the pagan gods that they overcame. Verse 21, but they held their peace and answered him, not a word. For the king's commandment was saying, answer him not. That's quietness. Quietness and trust. It'll be our strength. Amen. Quietness and listening to another voice. What does the Lord have for us? Is there another voice? There is. It's here in verse um, 6. And Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall you say unto your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words that thou hast heard wherewith the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon him. He shall hear a rumor, return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Isaiah. We have quietness, 
trust, and a prophet. Quietness, trust, and a word, prophet. A word of instruction, a word of faith. There we are. There's a lot of pressure, but there is that sense of God in our presence. So this is what Hezekiah did, and this is the closing part. Verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up unto the house of the Lord, and he spread it before the Lord. I mean, how, what did that look like? It was probably a roll, you know, or something. He goes up to the house of the Lord. Maybe he goes down. He brings, he brings the blasphemy before God, the accusation, the whole thing. He brings what he had read. He brought it before the Lord, and he, he, sip, he put it before the Lord. And, and, uh, and that's how he dealt with it. And maybe that, that means we're not denying it. It means we know how to deal with it. It means that we're not pretending it's not true. It, it, we're saying, this is it. But Lord, what do you have to say about it? Uh, even if the devil was to bring up my sin, I could bring it before God and say, God, what do you have to say about it? Or about my troubles or my, my you know, I think you understand what I mean. My life, the bad, the bad, the troubled stuff, the, the things that bother us. And Hezekiah had a place to go. He, he went before God with it and he spread it out before the Lord. And so this is what it says. He says, he prayed, verse 15, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel that dwells between the cherubims. What a privilege that is to pray like that. The God, not the gods of Arphad, verse 19 of chapter 36, of Hamath, the gods of Sepha, Vayim, they, they could never deliver Samaria. Not the pagan God, this is the God that dwells between the cherubims. And what happens? He says, you are God, even you alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Senech Arib, which is sent to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations. True, they have, Lord. They have overcome everywhere they have gone. They've cast their gods into the fire. They've done it all, but you are not like those gods. You're the God that dwells between the cherubims. You are the living God, and that's what we have in our hearts and in our lives. And I will hope that you could hear some practical application of this message to your life and realize that he really is God who hears us. He really is God who takes care of us. And that one night he destroyed the Assyrian army, 185,000 people in one night. And Rabshak returned back. And then the king was assassinated. And the story is explained there. But just to say that I think, just simply speaking, that in your, your life, you're going to find that 
that you're going to find really, really, that everything you have ever done for Christ will be challenged by the devil. Everything that you hold dear will be challenged by the devil. The validity of this Bible, it's not true, it's not true. The validity of your life, of faith, it's ridiculous, it's ridiculous. Forget about it, forget about it, capitulate, give up. It has no value, it is vain, it is empty. The devil say, there is no heaven, there is no hell. What are you, some crazy person? Who are you? you this, don't listen to Hezekiah. Do not listen to this and do not believe in this. Do not embrace it and so on. And you know, when you're in the trenches and you hear that and you don't have much, but you have a trial of faith. You have words, words that you've heard in the past, words of truth, words that have built you up, words of life, holding forth the words of life. I wonder when Paul was in prison, did the devil ever come? Did the philosophers or the wise men or the politicians or the the way of the world, did they ever say to him, you've been a fool, you're a fool, do not trust in this, do not believe it, for sure. It's a war of words. Which word are we going to embrace? And faith. And work it out in your heart. And, and don't be afraid when it comes on you. Don't be afraid when the pressure is on. Don't be afraid when you have to make a decision. And you yell back and say, we're not backing up. We're holding our lines. We're not coming to get bread. You come and get your butter over on this side. Hey, we're, we're, we're in it. We're fighting to the end. We are believing to the end. And when Paul finished, he said, I have kept the faith. I ran the race. There is a treasure waiting, a reward. There is something there. Guys, we have not believed in vain, but we have embraced it and seen it. Now, lastly, one brother in Baku came up to me. There were, I have a little video that I sent to my wife, and I just realized tonight, I mean, I think you guys would love seeing it too, so maybe we can do that. But he showed me a picture 27 years ago with, with me and him and his son, a newborn son who's now 27 years old. And, um, and these people, they, these people are precious. Because they're in a battle. They're in a battle. They're in an Islamic country. They're in a world like, like all of us. And when I see that, and I, I, like I saw him yesterday, or, you know, I see people that are of the same spirit, the same mind, the same trust, the full 100% surrender of our heart to the living God. And as Jesus said, if you give me your life, I will give you life. And that life is there. And, but it's not just there. It's like everywhere in the world. The devil knows it. He's in a contest with it. He's got a lot of power. He has a lot of experience. And he has a message. But, but, but the good news is that we have one too. And that's it. Amen.
they got this one paragraph, giving dignity to suffering. So I like that. You know, by setting the anguish out in the open and voicing it as a prayer, the Psalm 130 gives dignity to our suffering. He does not look on suffering as something slightly embarrassing that must be hushed up and locked in a closet because this sort of thing shouldn't happen to a real person of faith. And it doesn't treat it as a puzzle that must be explained. Therefore, turn it over to... Let's see. Suffering is set squarely, openly, passionately before God. It is acknowledged and expressed. It is described and lived. Okay? Amen. All right. Um, The Lord... This story, we just pray it be used to help us and lead us in how we live with suffering. We can handle it. We can handle the pressure. We can be quiet and trust and listen. Isaiah was there and he told, he said, God's going to deal with these people. They are blaspheming. God is going to deal with God is on our side. Let us walk in the ministry. Let us not run in fear. Let's not capitulate. We have the finished work. We're way out front of the devil with the message of grace that's able to save, restore, and heal. Oh, wow. For the preaching of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. There are new believers in Azerbaijan, hungry people. There's a revival there in that country. There's a work of grace, blessed and in Central Asia, in every place, in Jesus' name. And then anyone listening, you'd like Jesus in your life, come to Jesus as you are. Come, please, by faith to Jesus Christ and put your trust in him. He will hear you. He will answer you. Walk by faith in him. Talk to him. Trust him. Read the Psalms. Pray them. Embrace them. Listen to messages. Be built up. Focus and concentrate on God's presence. And give him all your heart and your life. And he will lead you. Trust in him with all your heart. He will direct your path. He will take care of you. Yes, he will. Yes, Lord, you will. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for this body. Thank you so much for your love and your prayers and what is happening. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So uh, let's see. Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition.